<laughs> Welcome to Bloom Living. I am your host, Thomas DeShooter, former rock musician turned financial strategist, sharing amazing ideas from amazing people looking to up the game of life whenever we can. Welcome to the Bloom Living Podcast. I am your host, Thomas DeShooter. Today on our show, we have a water company that has now provided over 130,000 people worldwide with fresh, clean drinking water. But before we get to that, nice shout out to all of our listeners, any new listeners that are joining us today for the first time, welcome. It's a great uh, privilege to have you listen in and to be a part of today's show. I thought I would touch a little bit, this being a show with uh, TJ Foltz of Humankind Water and with what's going on with, you know, this pandemic or uh, I don't know if they've actually called it a pandemic yet, but the concern around the coronavirus, uh, I thought I would just go back to something I shared with people a number of years ago, maybe, maybe four or five years ago on just being prepared for things that happen that, you know, we're not we're not normally thinking about. And it's not about being in, let's be clear, it's not about being in a state of fear. It's not about thinking about this stuff all the time so that you're actually creating fear and, uh, and lack and all of this other stuff in your life. This is really just about saying, hey, this could happen. If this happens, I have some preparedness around it. So here are some simple things that, that people can take care of and just make sure that they're, they're living with these things around, a supply of some fresh drinking water, even some canned goods that you, know, you, can, you can pop open. So you got to make sure you have a can opener as well, and not an electric one, but a hand-cranked can opener. You may want to get a backup generator. And recently I saw that there's this portable generator that works with your car. It'll run a few major items in the home. I think you can Google uh, what car generator or go to cargenerator.com and uh, check out what they have. And again, it's not about being fearful. It's just about being prepared. And here's why I bring this up. And, and I'll, I'll loop this into financial preparedness. See, I live on an island. Now, the island I live on is fairly big, but around us are smaller islands. And uh, a few years ago, we had a pretty big storm that hit us here and took down a lot of trees, and those trees took down a lot of power lines. And what that caused on these smaller islands where they don't have necessarily the crews that can just jump in a truck and start uh, repairing things is that they were you know, five, seven, nine days without power or without facilities operating in a way that we're used to. And so I have a dear friend that lives on one of these islands. And a number of years ago, one of my things about being prepared was also for financial preparedness. And I, I recommend, and I still recommend this today, that you get yourself a decent safe, not you know, one of those $49 safes because they're not really of any use at all. Somebody can take that and break into it in a matter of seconds uh, or a really good hiding place. But I recommend a safe. And in that safe, you want to put in um, some currency. So you want to, ideally, the most prepared you could be is to have three different currencies in there. And, you know, whether it's a couple hundred dollars of each in value or, you know, a couple thousand dollars of each in value, it's not it's not so much the amount that is important at this point, it's the strategy of having it in place. 
Now, I would also recommend on that that you also create the opportunity to get yourself some bits of silver or some bits of gold or both. And here's why. The story goes like this. We had this power outage. The power was out for five plus days. It was right around the holiday season when, you know, you have guests perhaps coming in from out of town and you're going to throw a dinner and you're going to want to feed them and you need some stuff from the grocery. And unfortunately, the power is out. So the grocery store can't actually use any of their technology, like their cashier tills, etc., in order to operate. They can't use debit cards. They can't use credit cards because all of the power is out and they don't have the ability to use the old school uh, little machines where you run our credit card through. And certainly that wouldn't work with a debit card. Here's the great part when you have some cash kicking around the house in your safe because you were prepared and you weren't in fear of this preparedness. You were just a realist saying, hey, storms can happen, power can go out, Things can happen where I need to still be able to function, and so how can I manage that? Well, this friend of mine was able to access cash, go down to the store, and get everything they needed to support their dinner for their guests. Now, that's a huge win in my book, and it's not, again, I can't say this enough, it's not about being in a state of fear or living like this is going to happen or the end of world the end of the world is coming it's not that at all it's just being prepared now the second part of this preparedness is the gold and silver why would i recommend gold and silver well these are hard assets in other words they are assets that actually uh, have value that increases along with inflation and if we were to ever have a currency crisis where maybe the currency that in the country that you live in is no longer being recognized as a valuable uh, payment source, then having hard assets like gold or silver becomes your ability to trade currency, where that might still be accepted or more than likely will be accepted as a form of exchange. And so having uh, that conversation, there's two parts of that. One is, in an inflationary environment, which we live in, the value of the gold and silver will increase over time. So it's not like it's going to just sit there doing nothing for you. It is an investment of sorts. And it has a deeper value should a situation arise where you would need to access it as a payment source. And lately, I have been having a lot of discussions with people about inflation and currency. And so here is a definition of both so that you understand the difference between currency and money. Inflation is the very act of the value of the money supply being increased in such a way that the value of that dollar is falling. So it's not the actual cost of goods that is necessarily going up. It's that the value of the currency or dollar that you're going to pay with is actually becoming less valuable. That is the true definition of inflation. It's now since change, anywhere I look on the internet, inflation is, uh, is not written in such a way. It does look like it's just that goods are going up in, in price. That's actually not what's happening, is that the underlying 
currency or money that you're going to be spending is actually losing its value. That takes us to part two of this definition, which is currency. What is the difference between currency and money? Well, currency is a medium of exchange. It's a unit of account. It's portable. It's durable. It's divisible. And it's fungible. Fungible means that basically if I have a five uh, a five dollar note, and you have a five dollar note. They're they're considered to be the exact same thing, and uh, we could trade each other for our five dollars and know that we still have the same value when we walk away. So that's the definition of currency. Again, it's a medium of exchange, a unit of account. It's portable, it's durable, it's divisible, and it's fungible. Now, here's what money is, because you may notice you never go to a money exchange, you go to a currency exchange when you want to buy different currencies around the world. If you're going to another country, you buy a currency in that country, it's at a currency exchange. So money is a medium of exchange, a unit of account, it's portable, it's durable, it's divisible, it's fungible, and it's a store of value. In other words, it the true definition of money is that it will maintain its value as time marches on. The only way it can do that is when it's backed by an actual hard asset like gold or silver, which is how our money used to be. It used to be backed by a hard asset and it no longer is. It is actually referred to as a fiat currency, meaning it's only backed by the paper that it's printed on. That's why it's actually called a currency and it's no longer by definition money. So back to my start of this show is how do we prepare for things that might come up that are unforeseen? And, and I remember when I started at Edward Jones as an investment advisor, one of the things they trained us on was the idea that you, you cannot predict the future, so you must prepare for it. So this is just about being prepared that if something comes up, you are in a situation where you can win. You know, it's like, why do you have a lawnmower? Because someday you might have to cut the grass, right? It's not that you're in fear of having to cut the grass. It's that you're going to cut the grass someday so you get a lawnmower. This is the same thing. There might be an opportunity where we have some challenges outside of our control where being prepared with financial assets and some food and fresh drinking water would be beneficial. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, I wrote a book where we covered currency and money inside of that book. You can find that on Amazon. It's called Bloom Your Money, Your Life. You can send us a direct message through email or through this show, wherever you're listening to this, and we can send you some information on that. All right, now on to today's guest. TJ Foltz was a youth pastor and single dad of two from Philadelphia. He started a bottle water company that donated 100% of the net profits to to charity. TJ went on to turn two pallets of drinking water into Humankind Water, a million-dollar company, and has provided clean water for 130,000-plus people worldwide. With his wife and partner, Meg, they have become philanthropeneurs. As a couple, TJ and Meg Foltz have taken the concepts of philanthropy and entrepreneurship to create a charity 2.0. Its focus is applying financial profits to solve one of the toughest problems in our world, access to clean drinking water worldwide. They are creating a space for doing well while doing good. All right. Welcome to the show, Meg and TJ Foltz. Hey. Thanks for having us. Yeah. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Great. It's a beautiful day. 
So I have some questions that have been spurred over reading your bio and this thing, this little thing you call a water company and, you know, that has distributed clean water to 135,000 people and counting. And uh, I just want to know, what was the impetus? Like, how did this begin? I mean, you've given me some coal notes, but it doesn't really tell me, TJ, what stirred the pot to do this. Well, before we start, you have to know that I'm speaking with a broken heart because you and I share a love of a rock group called Rush, and you just informed me that the drummer Neil Pert had died. I'm I'm heartbroken, so I'm not sure I can even go on. Uh, well, I I feel your pain, my friend. Um, I cried for a couple of days. I have shared this on past shows of my loss of my drumming. Uh, mentor, if you will. And uh, yeah, he was an amazing human being who wrote incredible lyrics, wrote books, and uh, lived the dream of a rock star, but not being a rock star, being a family guy who lived a very decent life and contributed to a lot of people. Wow. It's, it, he was a, an amazing musician, one of my favorite of all times, and uh, he will be sorely missed. So I just I had to mention that up front because I know you and I both shared a love for his genius and his music. Yeah. And you know, we met in New York city oh, at a hotel good. right across from Madison square garden, which by the way, a hotel uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. The hotel Pennsylvania. That's where we met right across the street from Madison square garden at the, uh, at the summit, right? The, um, uh, press summit. And on in memoriam of Neil Peart on their signboard out front of Madison Square Garden, they had his photo and the date of his life to death for the day. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. wow. That's very touching. Wow. That's yeah. Touching. For a Canadian, for a Canadian to do that, to hit Madison Square Garden and be on their signboard, that's, you know, that's huge. Well, he, he's kind of like Gretzky and universally, I can't say universally, arguably the greatest drummer of all time. And most folks would argue that he was amazing and he will be missed. Yeah. Yeah. So now are you okay? Can we, I'm okay. Are you okay? Over. We can move on. Okay. Okay. Uh, you're asking about the, the origins of humankind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hold on. Of humankind, the water company. We're not, yeah, yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not going to talk about the origins of humankind uh, today. Seven million years. <laughs> you know, uh, so, so we uh, we started uh, this this water company. I I've never taken a business class, never taken a marketing advertising class, none of it. I'm a youth pastor by trade, and I taught youth ministry at a Christian college, and never expected to do anything other than youth ministry or kids ministry or equipping others to do that for my entire life, except that. I had opportunity to travel with an organization called Compassion International, which is one of these deals where you, you get a, a picture, an individual child's picture in a packet, and you stick them on the fridge, and you pay $38 a month, and you sponsor them, and you make a big difference in their life. And I was an itinerant speaker, and I was one of the, one of the folks that they asked to get folks sponsored. And so I had many opportunities to travel to developing countries and see how the other half lives. And um, 
and and it affected me deeply. I didn't ever think there was anything I could do about it, but um, you know, you would see a, a mother with a baby in her arms and a bottle, and it looked like chocolate milk. And you're saying to yourself, I'm hoping and praying that it's chocolate milk that she's feeding her kid. And it was, and it was water, and it was the only water that they had access to. And I just, this this can't be, you know, that we, we, we don't have to, I, I didn't know much about it at the time, but we don't need to invent anything new. We don't, we don't need to come up with any new technology at all to, to get people clean drinking water. We just have to care enough and spend enough. And so that was sort of in the back of my mind. And one day, uh, literally while I was uh, praying, this idea hit me, overwhelmed me to start a beverage company and let's use the proceeds to get people clean drinking water. So it's a bottle of water called Humankind. You buy this water here and they get that water there. We give 100% of the net profits to fund these wells and filters around the world. To date, we've been blessed to give 135,000 folks clean water, Haiti, India, Africa, Latin America, and right here in the old USA. Wow. And that's it. That's you're just going to leave it like, yeah, you know, it's just everyday stuff we're doing. It it feels everyday most days, but we we are we are touched. I'll I'll share with you that uh, that we recently crunched the numbers. One hundred thirty five thousand people with clean drinking water. You can conservatively estimate how many of those folks would have died had they not gotten clean drinking water. And that's the number that staggers me more than anything else. And I'm just humbled by it and, and just moved by it. It's, it and the most conservative estimate, it's got to be somewhere between two and 3,000 people whose lives weren't just improved, but literally saved because they now have clean drinking water. And that's, holy smokes, that's Schindler's List. And we, we, we got into this thing so small and so humbly. And now to watch it grow has been, well, like I say, a humbling experience. Right. And then there's the thousands, many more in the future that those people will have brought into the world or bring into the world potentially, and and they too will feel the benefit of that. That's amazing. Thank you for- Just getting started. Yeah. Thank you for the work you do. So Meg, since you're with us here, and I'm so blessed to have uh, both of you, how did you, how did you stumble upon TJ and get involved with this? How'd you stumble upon me? How did I stumble upon you? Uh, well, okay, so TJ and I, it's kind of a, a two-part tale. So T and I originally met back in 2000. Um, we we knew each other for kind of a brief amount of time. I was a kid, uh, headed off to get married. He was married. And so for 12 years, we didn't talk or have any interactions or connections, no Facebook friends, nothing like that. Um, just really thought that each other was pretty great, you know, thought we were going to do something significant in our own corners of the world. And, and that was that. Um, so when I parted ways with TJ in 2000, 2001, um, I actually ended up going to nursing school, became a registered nurse, um, started working at the critical in the critical care unit of our local hospital. So as an ICU nurse for a lot of years. And in the midst of all of that in 2010, there was a massive earthquake in Haiti, which a lot of people are aware of. And in that season, I knew that I needed to go do something. Um, I've always felt really a strong calling to do something international. I always thought that my nursing would probably 
um, reach further than just within the walls of my local hospital. And so I ended up leading my very first team down to Haiti um, later in the year of, of 2010 and talk about a humbling experience. And so we were dealing mainly with quake victims. Um, what happened though was that I decided when I came back that I wanted to lead another team immediately. And so I prepped my next team and eight weeks later, um, we flew down to Haiti. What happened in the duration of the eight week span from the time that I was originally in Haiti until the time that I returned was a massive cholera outbreak. Um, and cholera is a waterborne illness. It can kill you within 24 hours, especially if you are very young or very old. And what I found was a country who had never seen cholera for the last 50 years. It was brought in by the UN. Um, the UN accepted responsibility in 2018 and said, yes, it was because of them. And so what I found was a country reeling. I was working alongside a doctor from Doctors Without Borders, um, learning how to triage, learning how to deal with this atrocity. I mean, just nobody should die. The people who are going to die of a lot of things. Nobody should die because they don't have access to clean drinking water. And so I started having my own uh, conversation with God and said, you know, this isn't right. This isn't fair. This is cyclical. Like even if I get people healthy and well, they will go back to a dirty water source and then what? And then the team is gone and then it's a week later and then they're dying at that point in time. Um, and how in the world though am I going to do infrastructure? I didn't know what the word infrastructure meant. I didn't know how in the world to actually get people access to clean drinking water. But I knew at that point there was a fire burning in my gut that I was going to use my voice, my platform, my profession as best as I could to make an impact. Um, that was the end of 2010 and I'd say right around 2012, I ended up, I continued leading teams down to Haiti and um, a mutual friend and I were talking about TJ. She knew him too, had met him in 2000 and said, hey, did you hear what he is up to? And I said, no. What's going on with him? And she told me about this bottled water company that he had started called Humankind. And so I reached out and I said, hey, I, you probably don't remember me, uh, but now I'm a critical care nurse. Here's what I'm doing. We should grab a cup of coffee, talk about clean water and sanitation. I remembered her for the record. And uh, the rest is history. I the guess. rest is history. Uh, you said something. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Meg. You said something earlier brought in by the UN. Is that the... Did, were they taking responsibility for the cholera that they brought it in? Yes. How, how so, would like how would that look? I'm not quite. I don't. So for yeah. me, who wouldn't know anything, who's not in this space at all, how do you bring cholera in if you're the UN? Right. So because the UN brings in um, teams from different locations throughout the world, this team was from. Oh gosh, don't quote me. I think it was Sierra Leone. It was from a country that had cholera as, it was just endemic, right? Like, so a lot of people had and are exposed to cholera. Obviously you can have cholera, you can have the parasite. Your body is going to create its own natural level of resistance so that even if you have some of the bacteria or organisms, you might not actually be actively presenting with it. And so they were at the compound in Haiti, um, the sanitation uh, infrastructure on the compound failed so that their toilets ended up getting backed up. And instead of taking care of the problem, everybody just sort of, I guess, threw up their hands. And what happened next was that pretty soon, all of that was being overflowed and, and um, going into the streams and riverbeds in Haiti. 
which is obviously where a lot of people are getting their drinking water. And mm. so at that point, it was full blown chaos. People were dying by the thousands. Um, I was actually, so not only in that, so most of you won't know this because, and, and you wouldn't probably either, because um, the very first week, everybody was a little bit focused on the cholera, but what was also happening was a political coup down in Haiti. And so I found myself in the midst of riots and outbreaks um, in lockdown. They actually shut down the airport. They were piling dead bodies in the streets. Like, I know that this just sounds insanely intense. And it really was. We ended up being emergently evacuated out through the Dominican Republic and sent home. And what I found out in that moment was that desperate people do desperate things and they were terrified. Um, and I just knew that we could do better than that. We could do better than that for our fellow human beings. Wow. I've never, um, I've never experienced anything like that. And so, you know, I'm sure there's many listeners out there that have not either. And it's, so it's really hard to, you know, sort of envision it. And I'm not trying to be funny. I will say though, that my only experience with cholera was I worked on a movie of the week with Lindsay Wagner, who I think used to be the bionic woman. Oh my God. And it was about a cholera outbreak. <laughs> and I remember oh. having a, having a hospital full of these people that were, you know, all done up in makeup to look like they were sick and stuff. Oh and, God. and you were in the real thing though. You were living. So not only were you in a cholera outbreak and an earthquake, there was a, coup, a military coup going on as well. And like, how do you, how do you process all of that stuff? Like, like what becomes priority for you? So I think it was good that I had the background of being a critical care nurse because I have been clinically trained, um, to kind of go into that triage mode, right? So we immediately made sure that our team was safe, um, that they were okay. We then trained the local Haitians enough that we felt like they could maybe provide some sort of care to the patients that were in the cholera area. And then as soon as we felt like it was safe, um, we did come back out of the compound and make sure to check in on them. What was really crazy is that because we were so welcomed, and so what I don't want to do is I don't want to create um, more fear of division or division of like us versus them, right? Like I know a lot of people are concerned about Haiti. Uh, they wouldn't want to travel to Haiti because of the very things that I'm talking about. But what's really funny is that because they were friends, and not to mention, remember, I established relationships eight weeks prior. So I was back down there with Haitian um, interpreters that had just worked with me eight weeks ago. They remembered my name, they still knew me. Um, they were literally rioting outside of the hospital. Our interpreters came to pick us up from the hospital to walk us back down the road to where we needed to go to our compound. And everybody in the street stopped. They stopped, they stopped all the rioting. Waited until we got into the compound, locked the gate, and then all hell broke loose again. <laughs> at that point, I knew that it wasn't about us. They weren't going to hurt us. They weren't trying to hurt us. They weren't even trying to scare us. But what I remember saying to one of my Haitian interpreter friends, Patrick, he was like, this isn't about you guys. We love you guys. And I said, I know. But unless you stop this, we can't treat your fellow people. We can't. We can't be there. And so... Can I paint the picture of a cholera clinic really quick? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. 
<laughs> As the people stop listening, let's go for it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm going to invite you in because you know what? I feel like we can like do this with movies, but then sometimes it's hard. Like, wow, is this real life? The Cholera Clinic is basically a cement building. It had previously been a school, but it was cement walls, cement slab floor, roughly 70 army tents, uh, army cots lined up, a hole cut in the bottom. And the patient is laying there with their pants and underwear down around their ankle and a Home Depot. You got Home Depots in Canada? I don't know. Yeah. What's your equivalent? Yes, we do. Out. We do. Okay. <laughs> we just got the first one. Congratulations. No, I'm, I'm, no kidding. Canadians are a nomadic people, Meg. They're hunter gatherers. But... They're yaks and things. Yes, they do. Yes, we barely get out of our door, out of our igloos up here to to explore. But... <laughs> I'm kidding. So yes, we have Home Depot. So there's a Home Depot bucket under them. I'm assuming is where you're going with this. Underneath, underneath that hole that's cut in the cot, yeah. and just they're losing everything inside of them. Basically. Constantly, yeah, yeah. That's what power clinic is like. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm humbled actually by your willingness to take that on because it's something you know I've thought about. Um, I've had hospital experiences at this stage of my life where I've gone in, and I just know I. I'm sure I could find it within me, but I'm not that, it just, I don't know. I can't deal with it in a lot of cases. Hmm. It's just something that's natural. I mean, I feel like TJ has said similar, similar things. I, I can't, I can't pat my, my own back here, you know, cause I honestly, it's just um, something that I was born with. There's just this innate yeah. Like when it's my kids, it's one thing, right? When it's the people I know and love, it's one thing to deal with that and you deal with it. I just don't know if I had to deal with it, how I would react to it. And, and, yeah. you know, and I like to think that maybe somewhere inside of me, this, you know, this well of immense uh, love for humanity that I have would somehow kick in and take over. I've just never been in the situation. And so right. I don't know. Right. It would. Cause I, all of a sudden at that point, I, I now have stepchildren and they're lovely and they're wonderful um, but at that point I had no kids in my life and I still felt that mama bear instinct that was like, not on my time, not on my watch. This is not happening today. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, yeah. I think a lot of people would get there if you were standing in that same hot sun. Right. Hey, it's Thomas here. Thanks so much for listening to the Bloom Living Podcast. We'll be right back with our guest after a word from our sponsors. Do you feel uneasy visiting a bank? Do you struggle to sit through a meeting with your financial advisor and leave having not fully understood what they were talking about? Are you blindly trusting that somebody else understands this better than you? Call Thomas the Shooter and the team at Bloom Strategies to create your financial future. Together, you will break down the game of money so that you win. Learn how to take control of your finances and make decisions based on your core values that put you in the driver's seat of your financial life. No more thinking that you don't get it. No more financial statements left unopened. And no more feeling like you are stuck in a world of scarcity. Join the conversation on Facebook at Bloom Strategies or go to bloomstrategies.com today. That's B-L-O-O-M strategies.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. You're listening to the Bloom Living Podcast. And now back to today's guest. So <clears throat> you're in Haiti. 
TJ, where are you at this point? I want to get to I want to get I want to get to how the water company became the both of you. Yeah, so almost exactly the same time that she is in Haiti seeing the real life effects of the water crisis, I'm having this epiphany of a moment that we can do something here. I knew absolutely nothing about how to put water in a bottle and sell it. I know nothing about the beverage industry, none of it. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd heard of uh, Newman's Own giving 100% of its proceeds to help various charities. I didn't know what charities they were helping. I said to myself, well, you know, maybe, maybe we start this bottle of water and everybody knows that it goes to water and you get that direct connection. Um, so that was the idea. The, the idea, as I said, came to me one morning when I was praying. So I always say that I feel like I prayed the prayer and he got the answer. Yeah. And then yeah. God connected us two years later over this thing called humankind water, you know? We, we didn't figure out all the details at that point. Everybody kind of, you know, I called some friends who knew business better. And I said, I had this crazy idea, hoping that they would talk me out of it. And uh, they said, no, I think it's a great thing. And uh, uh, even to go so far as to say, I think it's of God and let's do it. And I said, okay, well, how do we do it? And everybody kind of kept their day jobs as we talked to other people in the industry and Googled everything under the sun and figured out how to put a barcode and a QR code and, and actually get to market. And then we had an incredible uh, break that literally two to three weeks after we got the first bottle, off the presses. Which is now what year? 2011. Okay, 2011. Uh, we got our first bottles off the presses and, and uh, we had literally one store, a nutrition store in Philadelphia. And, um, and then a friend of mine said that uh, they had heard that Walmart was holding a worldwide contest called Get on the Shelf as sort of a, a an effort to pull back in the little guy because Walmart has a, a reputation of crushing the little guy, right? So they do a contest for the little guy, for everybody who's too small, their product is too small to be in Walmart. Let's put them all out there, make a little video for yourself, put it out there. Whoever gets the most votes wins. Whoever wins gets a spot on Walmart shelves. It's called Get on the Shelf. And uh, 4,300 products entered and by some miracle, little old humankind water wins. We went from having one retail outlet in Philadelphia to being a part of the biggest retail monolith on the planet uh, overnight. It was pretty unbelievable. <laughs> the retail monolith. The retail monolith. Well, the, the nomadic people of Canada also have the retail monolith. Oh, you have that you too? Have you have yes. Walmart, yeah. Home Depot. Oh my, my gosh! It sounds like you're you're coming along. Um, so anyway, <laughs> we, got, we got all these calls after we won the contest, you know, and that was the press that kind of launched us. Was you know CNN Money called and and uh, you know Huffington Post called and and one of the calls they said uh, you know Walmart has the biggest truck fleet in the entire world, how big is your current fleet? 
1991 Jeep with Russ. What are you talking about? Fleet. I open up the back hatch and I take two cases into the nutrition store. That's my fleet. So it was a pretty cool transition. So, okay. So, um, a couple things are coming up for me here. You know, one I have questions on. Okay, so how do you how do you deal with the overwhelm that is likely going to come from that? One, uh, two though, something I talk a lot about on this show is the idea of creating our lives and creating opportunities. And it's you know, there's an old uh, there's an old saying that when you pray, move your feet. And so it. You know, it's one thing to have the insight, like I should do this, and then it's another thing to get into action, and it's another thing again to take on the opportunity that was presented, which would be, hey, get on the shelf at Walmart. It would be so easy to say, oh, there's going to be so many companies that are going to put their name in that are way ahead of me. I'll never get in. Why bother? Well, we said everything except the last two words. Right. We said everything except the last two words. And we said, uh, or if we did say why bother, the answer was because, because we can win this thing. And, and here's how. And we got onto, a, uh, we got onto a, a conference line with all of my very, very smartest friends for about an hour. And I remember we said uh, they, they, they kind of announced the different rules and how the thing was going to play out as you went so you didn't have it all ahead of time. And we discovered that the most you could get was two votes from any person, one via Facebook and one via text message on a day. And the, the contest was going to run for two months. So, so we quickly decided that the person who wins this contest, they are going to be the best reminderers. We made up a word. Nice. So the best reminderers are going to win this contest. And that became the primary goal is we felt like the story was compelling. We felt like we had an advantage over a lot of the other products that it, we can tell the story that if we actually win this thing, the sales will actually save X number of lives. Uh, but now we have to figure out how to remind people on a daily basis to text in their vote. And once we figured that out, we had an, an inside track and I had a team of, and I, I call them this, they call themselves this, so I'm not offending anybody, um, geeks. And they uh, were way more tech savvy than I, will, than I am or that I'll ever be. And they figured out ways to get the message out there. And it was so cool because you always wonder, you look at Facebook and you wonder how something goes viral but I've never been part of a conversation that said, let's create something that goes viral and have it actually work. Uh, so watching that happen before our eyes was, was one of the coolest experiences of, of my life. Watching this thing grow beyond friends of friends, getting, getting sent out to friends of friends of friends whose first or last names you no longer recognize at all. And they're passing the message along and they're sharing the message. So that was an exciting and a fun time. And again, the, Walmart is never going to be the be-all, end-all of humankind. The, the relationship itself ended amicably, amicably years ago. But that was the impetus that set us going and had us yeah. uh, rolling with momentum ever since. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah, it gave you some footing. Absolutely. 
Uh, so I have a question. I'm going to dig a little here. So sometimes I like to dig. Um, so when, so when somebody says we share 100% of the profits, right? The net proceeds, what is that in the terms of humankind? What does that mean? Is that after, you know, so, and I will be like way outside the box here. Is that after you take a million dollar salary or a $5 million salary? The deal is 100% to charity. And, uh, what that means is you pay for the bottle, you pay for the water, you pay for the label, you pay for the cap, you pay for what it costs to get it shipped somewhere, what it costs to get it advertised. And, and then after all is said and done, what remains of the net profits is still enough that you can provide significant help to folks in developing countries. And so I started that without taking a penny of the profits and I raised my own support like uh, kind of like a missionary would so that I didn't have to take anything out of that kitty at all. So humankind has grown since that time we've added other flavors of tea and lemonade that have a promise. It's still a huge give back of a promise, but it's not 100%. And we've discovered along the way that cafes, fast, casual, kind of smaller outlets are our best customers. And we have added other products that aren't even the humankind name at all and become a distributor of sorts. And so because those other products exist, because we have a, a line of tea and lemonade where the promise is big, but it's not 100%, we've been able to carve out in that manner uh, fair wages to all of the people that do the work, that drive it around, that, that stow it in the warehouse and uh, reasonable salaries to still no million dollar salary. still no million yeah. dollar salary yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we're, not, we're not seeing seven figures we're not even seeing six figures yeah. so it's very much yeah right and i and i have no problem with that I, I i wanted to ask the question for for those that are out there that are going to be skeptical yeah, and no, and i have i have absolutely expectation that people doing a good job creating a business should have the opportunity to also be paid for the work that they well, do. So Thomas, I'll share, I'll share the story with you of how we got the tea and the lemonade real quick is that uh, there's uh, a company very well known on the East coast here in the States called Turkey Hill. They do started out as mostly milk and ice cream and then they grew into uh, tea and lemonade. And I pitched the idea to the, the CEO who happened to be a friend of Meg's can we expand humankind into tea and lemonade? And I was sure he was going to say yes. And he said no, and I was really crestfallen. Why not? He says, because I don't like the model and I don't want to go around raising support like a missionary you know, every time we want to hire an employee. So he came back with, well, what if we back off the promise on the tea and lemonade, still big, but more modest, and this enables us to pay all the workers a living wage and pay investors back for their risky investment in a beverage uh, launch. And I said, deal, as long as you don't make me renege on the promise we had originally made on the water. So the water is now and will always be 100% to charity. The tea and the lemonade is uh, a give back that, uh, that promises 50 gallons of clean drinking water for every bottle that we sell. 
and the other what we call buy sell items that aren't the humankind name at all has no promise to anybody but keeps the lights on and keeps the gas trucks moving that's beautiful thank you thank you for what you're doing i think that's fantastic thank you thomas it's uh it's a it's an honor and it's a privilege and we we're uh one of the uh, i hope it, the number is big but I, i'm afraid the number is relatively small the percentage of people that wake up excited for every moment that's in front of them every day yeah. uh, and they go to bed wishing they had another half hour of energy to give to that thing that's so exciting. I'm not saying it's without its frustration and I'm not saying it's without, um, you know, challenges, challenges and, and, and fearful moments, but uh, we're passionate about it. We are and we're excited to do what we do. Yeah. Mm. Well, I have that for the hunt I get to do every day. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was just so beautiful. I gotta go trapping. I gotta go. I gotta feed the kids today. Shoot another bear. Hey, so, so I, I want to try to break this down for our listeners. The I have a diagram in front of me, and I love this. It's uh, so it's you, so me at the top, right? And then I can buy water on one side. And then that gets donated. And on my right side is I could donate directly if I wanted. So if I wanted to just donate, I could actually donate to your cause. And then those, that pile of donate is the 100% that goes down to provide clean drinking water, correct? Right. So we have not only our LLC, which is the bottled beverage company, but also the associated nonprofit, the 501c3. So you've got humankind is your drinks, kind human is the nonprofit. And so if somebody dono- donates directly to the nonprofit, and this is, uh, this is my unfamiliar with the uh, Euro- U.S. jurisdiction, do they get a tax receipt for that? They do. Yep. That's okay. why we set up the 501c3, because you, you can donate, I guess you can donate to a company, uh, but you're never going to be able to get a tax deduction. So you go to behumankind.com, there is a give button as big as a bread basket there, and uh, you can click on I've that. seen it. Give anytime you want, yeah. And you can also allocate where you want your dollars spent. So you can send 100% of it out to the field, uh, 100% to staff support, or simply click where needed most, and we make sure that we'll put it to good use. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, uh, in doing a little bit of research, and I'll be honest, you know, just so you're aware, my research in uh, bringing guests on the show is what they send me. And, uh, and the amount of time I have available to actually dig in a little, and that's just cause I have a daily, I have a business that I run. I'm also right now, I don't know if you're aware, I'm a ministerial student with unity worldwide ministries. So I am looking to be ordained in a couple of years. So it's a, it's a, it's a uh, master's in divinity. And then I have, you know, wow. my, my wife and children and all of their stuff that they have. And, and so it's a, it's a pretty busy life. However, Seriously, and, that's yeah, when I when I was thinking about your water and the clean water, are you familiar with Slingshot? I am familiar with Slingshot. Uh, the the guy that invented the Slingshot is the same guy that invented the Segway. Yes, you know Dean Dean Kamen. Dean Kamen's his name. Uh, yeah, he, the the Segway, that goofy thing that you roll around with two wheels. Yeah. I don't know if they do it in Canada. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he. Uh, He's a brilliant, brilliant inventor. Did, have you interviewed him? Are we I have. Telling you? I, no, I have not. I watched. There's a documentary. 
that I saw in 2015, and uh, and I was blown away by Dean. He also he also uh, invented the dialysis the dia- dialysis machine for home, right? That was his first invention. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this guy is a brilliant, brilliant human being, right? And uh, and what I found what I found fascinating about his show is you know one of my takeaways, and this is kind of how I, I sort of live a little bit is they went through his closet and his wardrobe was the same blue jean shirt. Like he had 20 of them and that's it. Yeah. Like that's it. Like, the, so he never, he never has to think about what he's going to wear. He doesn't have to like every day of the week. Yeah. 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 I'm a blue t-shirt, blue jeans guy. That's it. Like I have blue t-shirts and I have, and I have blue jeans and, and that's what I wear. A little easier than the ladies though. It's true. I think I think you're right. I think you're right. We could do a whole show on that. Can we bring Leslie on and talk about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leslie would be great to have. Leslie's always great to have on the show. She doesn't always come on, but when she does, it's like firecracker season, right? It's just like the show is the show is way better. <laughs> so I hate to break it to you guys, but this could have been a really great show. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> oh, man. Leslie, we miss you. Is she gonna listen to this later? She edits it. Oh, good. Uh, there you go. Last oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're an amazing team. She, she, she handles all of the production of the show except the recording part. That's my, that's my thing. Oh, that's Very awesome. Cool. Yeah. So, any, anyhow, my point about Dean was that that what I what I found really fascinating was he set up the slingshot to be distributed through Coca Cola. And yeah. uh, and the, and watching the uh, watching the documentary. If you ever get a chance to watch the documentary, it's great. And it's it's and he talks about the struggles of like, how am I going to get clean water in more places? Like, how do yeah. you do that? How do you go about that? Because you need distribution. And that's where he came across Coke. He's like, what's the one company in the world that already distributes everywhere? Right. Coca Cola. Can I right? tell you what we have been in some of the most remote villages you have ever heard of and there is some old rusty creaky coca-cola sign hanging there and i'm like how is this even possible how is it? these people haven't seen like a white person for 50 years and there's their coke sign hanging Genius yeah, yeah. they 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 managed to get around the globe so what is next for humankind like what what is the vision is there is there a master vision because i know in reading your bio you didn't expect what's already happening or that you would be doing what you're doing that was a you know that just kind of unfolded but now that you're in it you're you know you're likely running the company like most people in the you know the world of CEOism which is you know what are we doing how are we going to grow what's our what's our target for the end of the year are you doing that kind of stuff or is it still sort of hey we're just going to you know we're just going to make sure we get water out to to people who need it so it's funny that you just mentioned coca-cola um, i'm sure most canadians have heard of that company um <laughs> But they, uh, I'm not joking when I tell you that the intention is for humankind to be bigger than Coca-Cola. And I'm totally not not kidding. Don't poke the bear. Don't poke the bear. bear. I mean, humankind, we kind of have the ultimate tiebreaker. We think the product is great. We think the taste is delicious. It's healthier for you because it's organic. And, oh, my gosh, this bottle is going to provide 50 gallons of clean drinking water for somebody. Why wouldn't it grow and grow and grow and grow? 
the next step is we're looking for that big national chain and uh, I won't reveal the names on this podcast at the moment, but we've, we've, could it be a Canadian we've, chain? We've come close. It could be a Canadian chain. There you go. What are, what are the famous, Tim Hortons. Tim Horton. He's, like he's a hockey player. That's a game that they play on ice. We we'll skate around. Tim Horton. He was a, Tim Horton was a, was a, yes, he was a, a hockey player for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the national hockey league in the 1960s. Hockey player become a coffee place. Well, he he started the uh, the coffee shop, Tim Hortons, and the donut shop because in Canada apparently we love donuts and coffee. Like that's we can't get enough of that. So he that's started okay. that. You guys are solid, but, uh, solid individuals. Anyway, so we would <laughs> like to get one of those uh, nationwide uh, chains. We've had conversations with three. It's been uh, polite, no or not yet to this point. That would be a real game changer. Uh, I'm not kidding when I say that the aim is for humankind to be bigger than Coca-Cola. And I, I'd like to do it while I have a tooth left in my head and I'm not, you know, 106 years old, but, uh, he's getting old. We're, 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 Chains, we're seeing, <laughs> we're seeing the, uh, somebody uh, please help double in sales every year. And, um, and the, the long-term goal and the point of all of this is to see a world where you could die of a lot of things, but you're not going to die for the foolish reason that uh, you don't have access to clean drinking water. And, you know, when, when the, the, the doomsday naysayers list the, the top 10 list of things that endanger us as a human species, it's actually rather encouraging how many of them say, you know what, this is the one that we really might be able to get our arms around in our lifetimes. And, and just like, you know, Jonas Salk had this, this epiphany, this moment where, oh my gosh, we could live in a world without polio. We really are making progress and we really could live in a world where every man, woman and child has access to clean drinking water. As I said, we just have to care enough and we have to spend enough. And uh, we're going to get there. And by the way, I have no delusions whatsoever about humankind being uh the only significant or even one of the most significant like uh there are so many other great organizations out there who are doing water philanthropy and we take our hats off to them and we applaud them on a daily basis yeah <clears throat> thank you you know there's a couple of things that i i hear in that that i'll that i'll just share because that's part of why i do the show is i get to share my ideas too uh so you know, sometimes people have goals. I asked the question about goals in that. And what I'm hearing is that there isn't such goals that are so uh, uh, so stringent that you're not open to what's possible. And sometimes people get trapped in the world of something needs to look a certain way. And then mm -hmm. when opportunity shows up, they miss it because they're so stuck on how it needs to look. And so if there's other companies out there that are doing what you're doing in the same sort of uh, uh, genre or if you uh, with the same intentionality around it who's to say that that's not gonna someday meld together or you know partnerships might not that that might get that 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 might get united or or joined up that create and and you know to be bigger than something like coke could be you know 50 companies working together to achieve yeah. the same goal it doesn't have to look like the one single biggest company right it's it's yeah, about so yeah. i I love that you're that what I heard from you was that you're open to not like to how does this look? We don't know. We just know what we're up to. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you you make immediate goals, and it, it's fun. What, what what's the what's the old joke? You want to uh, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Like uh, you know, it, it's changed so many times, and the ability to pivot, the ability to be nimble, the ability to see that's not working anywhere near as well as we thought it would, but that's working twice as well as we ever thought it would. Let's do more of that. And uh, just some amazing people, including the woman sitting right here next to me and some of my colleagues on the other side of this door who have just come up with amazing, innovative, creative ways to keep this thing alive and grow it. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you know this, but 98% of all beverage startups are dead within two years. 96% are gone in the first 12 months and half of them are gone before their second birthday. And it's because it's so easy to underestimate how much it's going to cost and overestimate how many people are going to love this drink that happens to be your favorite um, and and to underestimate how much time it's going to take for your brand to get traction and grow. So here we are, what coming up on, on uh, it's close to, to 10 years. We're in year number nine, I believe right now water, yeah. and, and still growing and uh, trying to double in sales every year. And, and seeing that the big key is seeing the number of people who have clean drinking water as a result. That's very exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know the, uh, I didn't know the numbers on beverage companies. I did know it's not the first business I would think of starting <laughs> just based on. I would recommend starting somebody yeah. either. And, yeah. and when you look at that 2% that does survive, the number of them that have huge angel investor money behind them that gets them into the New York and the LA uh, market right out. And then, you know, and then it's basically go for broke in a year of just a blitzkrieg campaign to get everybody buying the new thing. So I think the number of folks that start from raw scratch startup and survive in the beverage industry is actually even smaller than you would think. So. We're blessed. Yeah. Are you, do you have any uh, distributors in Canada currently? Not a one. So there's no way, there's no place I can go to have a humankind. Not at the moment, but there's somebody listening to this right now who's going to go to behumankind.com and they're <laughs> going to write an email to Megan at humankindwater.org and they're going to say that they have to have this water, tea, and lemonade all across the great north so that's what's going to happen tim actually hortons. we did have a conversation with tim hortons in the second year of our existence and uh it didn't pan out but um we're still plugging away yeah i don't think tim is officially canadian anymore ah they partnered with wendy's and i think there's uh the corporate structure of tim hortons is no longer the the happy little canadian company that was family owned that it used to be that's all right Wendy's people you guys can call us too 
What's the uh, what's the most happening cafe in uh, across uh, across Canada? Well, I'll tell you what I thought of was uh, there's. I mean, obviously we have Whole Foods up here, and if you're organic, if you're if you're if your beverages are organic, there's there's a couple of places here that are in on in British Columbia that are called Palm P O M M E, and they're a retail they're a retail supermarket, but it's all organic. It's very mom and pop shop as well. Like they support local as much as they can as well. And so your story, you know, they have uh, once a month, for example, they have uh, the opportunity for 20% off Saturdays, the last Saturday of each month. And then they do a whole bunch of in-store demos that day. And that's where, you know, like the opportunity for somebody to present what you guys are doing, your beverage, and then where it's going to. Yeah. The proceeds that that's the story for me, right? Is like, hey, if this tastes pretty much the same as any other tea I'm going to drink, and the costs are pretty much the same, I will go to the you know the one that's supporting yeah. the world. Like when I go to Costco, I always my coffee is a dollar more, but if they're a B certified B Corp and they're yeah. organic and they're uh, you know they're uh, that trade quality trade, right? Or I forget what that's called, fair trade. Yeah. then I'll buy them and, and I'll pay the buck more. I don't care because I don't care about the buck because I want to support the things, you know, as a financial advisor, I have a saying that you, you, you know, you, we vote with our dollars. Amen. So if, if you want to see more of what you want to see in the world, then put your money towards it. If you're going to yeah. put money mm-hmm. towards things you don't want to see more of in the world, guess what? You're going to see more of it. So stop doing it. Exactly. Right. Yep. Stop. So true. You are our demographic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your guy. Uh, is there, so before we, uh, before we sign off, um, how do people, I know you've said the website a couple of times. Let's just have it one more time where they can send an email if anybody wants to reach out to you. And also if there's anything that we haven't kind of uh, talked about that you think is real important or that I didn't get to, then th- this is the opportunity. Again, we're we're not all over the continent at this point in terms of the sales of our beverage. Anybody that wants to order the drinks and have them shipped can do that online. The best thing that anybody could do to help the crisis would be to go to the website and make a donation of any size. Every little bit helps. Behumankind.com, behumankind.com, and click on the Give button. And if anybody out there has a specific idea that they want to throw by Meg, it's Meg at humankind. Megan. Oh, sorry, Megan. Oh my gosh, I got you. Whatever. Wow. Megan, M-E-G-A-N at humankindwater.org. Uh, the other cool thing that we do is that we actually lead vision trips so people can travel with us to meet these communities in the Dominican, in Africa. Um, you can meet our partners that we work with. There's a lot of uh, local ownership. So, you know, we're working directly with those communities, not trying to be the hero here. Um, but we love having people come along with us and see it firsthand, um, have some of those conversations, get a chance to see and understand some of the, the beautiful countries that we get a chance to work in. Thomas, that's also the, the BS buster that uh, you kind of offhandedly referred to before is that, you know, are people suspicious that you're really doing what you say? Well, on the side of our, our bottle of, of tea and lemonade has its invitation to come along with us. And that's gone a long way. Well, I don't think they would be inviting us to come and meet these people if they weren't really doing it. So that's helped a ton. Yeah, mm. yeah thank you. Uh, Leslie and I were in Kenya a year ago. Oh. And uh, our, Leslie's brother actually lives there with his family. 
in, in Nairobi. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, and we loved it. And we also saw just, you know, how fortunate uh, we are here. And it was so, I mean, I, I'm, I always say this, it was great for our kids. It was great for me. I mean, my kids aside, it was great for me to experience that, you know, our, our thinking here is I go to a restaurant, I want to wash my hands. I can you know, I just go into the bathroom and wash my hands. And there, uh, there's a good chance water ain't coming out of the sink, right? Like it's well, your hands will be worse off for the experience. Yeah, it's it's not a given that that <laughs> it's going to be a productive uh, hand washing experience, right? Yeah. And so when you're when you're faced with that, is when you really just start to go, oh, mm-hmm. wow, that's what it's like in other places. It's actually this is not the norm. Right, right, so true. Um, also, it gives a great reason to be playing Toto's Africa on repeat the whole time that we're there. Oh, man. We had it in my ear as we're flying past. I was like, P.S. Oh, for the record, Kilimanjaro does not rise like Olympus above the Serengeti. They're separated by 150 miles. <laughs> But it's still a great song. Hey, yeah. Yes, it is. We were actually, uh, we were in, we did a safari and we were in a park where Kilimanjaro is right behind this Maasai village that we visited. And it was, it was, uh, it was spectacular. And, uh, you know, I'll end this with Neil Peart. His yeah. first book that he wrote was called The Masked Rider. Uh, and it was about his bicycling in Africa. Oh. Including his, including his battle with dysentery, wow. while he was there, and uh, yeah. So here, you know, the the cool thing I find about what he's what he did or the way he lived his life was here was this, you know, guy that was a rock star yeah. that hated the limelight. Like he just yeah. wanted to be a good musician. He didn't want to be a superstar, right? That's not why he did it. And so, you know, he goes on this bicycling trip in Africa with just a whole bunch of regular people, like. Yeah. And, and nobody really knew who he was, and he doesn't need them to know who he was. He's just there to experience life like anybody else is, right? And so it's a, um, it's a, it's a great little story that he shares about that. Way to bring this full circle, Thomas. You get extra points for that. Thank you so much. <laughs> See? See? I have done this before. People, may, people might not believe that I've actually done this before. It's true. Uh, Megan and TJ, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. It's been uh, great. I love your sense of humor. I love the nomadic Canadians getting out and finding Home Depot. It's beautiful. And, uh, and I know Leslie and I would love to connect uh, in person would be beautiful because we felt the same upon meeting you two as just, wow, there's some genuine human beings that would be great guests on the show because they're genuine human beings, and and that's really what I love to do on the show. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure, Thomas. Thank you, Thanks Thomas. for having us. All right, you've been listening to the Bloom Living Podcast with uh, TJ and Megan from Humankind Water. You can find them at give it to me again. Thehumankind.com. Beautiful. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. A huge thanks to today's guest and to you for being a part of the show. Now, if any of the ideas or stories did strike a chord with you, then I'd be honored if you would just take a quick moment to do a couple of things. One, 
If something in particular did resonate with you and you feel like it would make a difference in the lives of others, then please go ahead and share this through your social media channels. We'd like that very much. And two, if you are feeling compelled to join in on our ever-growing Bloom Living conversation, then hit the subscribe button and we'll show up every time there is a new episode available. You know, it's not only my goal, but it's the goal of our entire Bloom Living team and community to be the very change that we want to see in the world. All ideas begin with a conversation, first with yourself and then with others. So we welcome your voice and we ask that you send along any comments, thoughts, or questions. This is Thomas DeShooter, Bloom Living. I don't want to turn your stomach fast I don't want to get all mired into that sentiment They'll think I found me a pocket here There's pipe bombs thrown on my television My mailbox of bankers warning Down my street, a drive-by shoe